Hello, everyone. This is the Asian American Brainstorm. From traditional bibimbap to boba tea, there is so much good Asian food out there. Adiba and I have been fortunate in that we've been able to eat a lot of it, and we still want more. In today's episode, we'll take you through our favorite Asian food memories, and we'll highlight some cool AAPI chefs. Uh, finally, we're going to cover some uniquely AAPI dishes that are either loved or hated, uh, but you shouldn't knock it until you try it. And we're going to wrap up by discussing some Asian food we haven't had yet, but definitely want to try. First, let's talk about our favorite Asian food memories. Adiba, what were some of yours? So for me, I grew up mostly having Indian food. Roti and rice every day was a must in my house. And if it was a special occasion, then maybe pulao or biryani. I'm one of those people who enjoy anything. I love trying new food. So I would say besides like South Asian food, all the other types of Asian food I would try outside the house. That's awesome. For me, growing up, I have certain kind of favorite dishes. I kind of grew up with a combination of American and Korean food because my mom was Korean, but my dad was Caucasian. My mom's specialty was bulgogi, and that was really good to have growing up. I actually still am trying to search. She had recorded her bulgogi recipe before she passed, and I'm still trying to find it. It's somewhere in my parents' house. I am determined that I will find that recipe and I'll be able to make her exact recipe for bulgogi. Oh, that's such a sweet memory. And I love bulgogi. I've had it only at restaurants, though, so I can imagine a home-cooked one is even better. Yeah, it's great. She also used to make this pretty simple dish. It was called, like, we called it rice cake soup. I'm sure there's, like, a more official name for it, but that was what it was called growing up uh, in my house. And it's, like, a beef broth with these kind of, like like a potato chip, except it's like it's a piece of rice cake, but it's it's not sweet. It is a savory rice cake. It's like a chewy pasta almost, kind of like how it feels in your mouth. And so we would have that, the the beef broth with that. And then we would have, it would have green onions, some eggs and some regular onions. It was pretty simple, but it was like really good. And I remember it being really nice in the wintertime. Uh, the other kind of childhood memory I have was we would go to the Asian market nearby. We didn't have a big one. We would pick up package of these things called prawn crackers, and they're basically like shrimp flavored crackers. <laughs> it may not be for everybody. Like I know, I think I've seen some people on YouTube actually try this that aren't like Korean, and they're like, "Oh gosh, that's a strong flavor." But like for me, growing up with it, it was like a treat, and it is very much one of my kind of favorite snacks from the Asian store. Later on in my childhood, well, teenage years really, my stepfamily is all Filipino, so I got to try a lot of good Filipino food from lumpia, pancit, adobo chicken, to different variations of ube desserts. I really have enjoyed a lot of that food as well. That's so great to hear. And so you got to have like both growing up, like Korean food and Filipino. Up next, taking you through some of our favorite AAPI chefs. Yes, the first one we'll start off with is Joyce Chen. Joyce Chen is Chinese-American and was one of the first Asian-Americans to bring Chinese food into American homes. So not only did she start and run multiple Chinese restaurants, but also wrote a cookbook with full-color images, which was pretty rare for the time. And these showed how to make Chinese dishes. She even started on a cooking show where she showed others how to make Chinese food. What's really incredible is that she did all this as a single mother of three boys in the 60s. Later on, brought out a line of Chinese sauces that are still popular today and even patented in the design of a walk in America. 
Her story is pretty interesting because I think how she first discovered that she was good at cooking or at least that um, other Americans would be interested in her cooking, you know, not just Chinese Americans, uh, ended up making dumplings for her son for their elementary school, like, it was like kind of like a bake sale slash, you know, food sale sort of a thing for a fundraiser. And he brought them. Turns out they completely, you know, all of the, the food went. And then there was a request of like, you should make more of these. So that was kind of the first hint that she had it. Oh, this might be possible for me to run restaurants and do all this stuff. And from there, she did all of this. And her kids, generations below her are still doing some of her lines of like Chinese sauces and some of the different products that she had co-developed when she was alive. So I think that's pretty cool. I feel like we've definitely had some of them. We just may have not realized. Yeah, for sure. Up next, I have Emily Kim, better known as Ma Ongchi. She is a Korean American. I call her the sweet Korean mom because that's kind of her demeanor <laughs> in her videos. But she basically makes these YouTube videos where she shows everybody in the world, you know, whoever wants to view her YouTube videos, um, how to make traditional Korean recipes. Those videos are really great because anybody can use them. I personally have seen comments in the YouTube videos of different people, whether they're adoptees or, again, someone like me where their parent passed away and they lost some of that traditional recipe knowledge. We use her recipes to help fill in the gaps and feel closer to our heritage. And so definitely think you should check her out if you want to learn how to make traditional Korean dishes. Next, we have Soha L. Wiley a Bengali-American chef who has stood up time and time again for fair and equal treatment in the culinary space. Sohala trained at the Culinary Institute of America and worked at Michelin star restaurants in New York for multiple years. She's most famous for her stint on Bon Appetit's YouTube videos. She would often come in to help the largely white hosts with complicated cooking tasks like tempering chocolate. Sohala was the one who blew the whistle, actually, when she found out that not only was her boss racist, but he had recently posted brown face pictures on social media. Besides that, her white counterparts were getting paid much more for their appearances on Bon Appetit's videos than her, even though she was much more experienced than them. And so today she continues to make videos online and through social media featuring new dishes and there are even appearances by her two dogs. Yes, Sola is very sweet. I, I very much enjoy her presence on the different social media platforms she uses and YouTube. I just remember watching, you know, the Bon Appetit videos myself, and it was basically like the same thing. It was like some host was working on something, at, like tempering chocolate or something, and they're just like, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Sola, can you help me? <laughs> and then she would just come in all bright and cheery, and she's like, yeah, sure. And she's like super patient and just like a super nice person. <laughs> and then I found out, you know, with this whole thing with Bon Appetit, that she was not, she was like 10 years or something more experienced than all of these other people who were hosting shows. And then she didn't have her own show. And then she wasn't getting paid the same amount or, you know, equal to the amount of time that she was on the video. So anyways, it was just a whole debacle. I'm glad that she is past that and doing her own thing now. Up next, I have James Kenji Lopez-Alt. Kenji, which is what he goes by, is a uh, part Japanese-American chef who rose to prominence with his two cookbooks, The Food Lab and The Walk. He is famous for incorporating the scientific method into his dishes, from his work with America's Test Kitchen to his James Beard-nominated food blog. 
Today, he's famous for his Instagram post and his down-to-earth YouTube channel, where he shares tips from his various cooking experiments. And, you know, that is the way that he really approaches food. It's very much a scientific method kind of a process. And it it leads to some really interesting uh, results. I have been wanting to read the food lab, but it is very large (laughs) because he did a lot of work. I mean, I applaud him for the amount of work that he did, but that's my goal this year. I want to I want to get that for like the holidays and, and actually do some stuff from it next year. All of these chefs sound incredible. I can't wait to like look into their videos and I'm always looking for new recipes. I feel like that's the hardest part of adulting. You prep for one meal and then (laughs) the next one comes. Now we're going to highlight some uniquely AAPI dishes. So the first one is, I'm sure you all know, American Chinese food, fortune cookies, crab rangoon, and tiki culture. So when I say crab rangoon or fortune cookies, you might think of Chinese food how it's known here in the U.S. But in fact, Chinese food is in most U.S. restaurants is actually pretty different from food eaten in China itself. When Chinese people first came to the U.S., they wanted to bring the foods of their homeland with them. But unfortunately, many local Chinese ingredients were hard to come by, especially back then. So they made substitutions, which created slightly different dishes. So that's kind of how that happened. And then now, as they started building more restaurants and businesses, the dishes have been adapted to appeal to white Americans in order to make a living. And so as a result, food became like sweeter and more fried. And that's how Americanized Chinese food was born. From this came fortune cookies, which originated from Japan, but were kind of just adopted as a fun way to end a meal. Crab Rangoon, on the other hand, actually had its roots in a different area called tiki culture. For those of you that may not have heard of it, uh, tiki culture is actually a highly racist envisioning of what the tropics were like. Think pineapple, sandy beaches, mixed drinks, and maybe some more inappropriate related stereotypes. Interestingly, the food that they served at these bars tended to be very similar to American Chinese food, but pretty much just with some pineapple thrown in. <laughs> While Chinese American food was used as a baseline, many started to experiment. Crab Rangoon was one of those. It was actually likely invented by the founder of Trader Vic's, which is one of the most successful tiki bars back in that day. Trader Vic's, believe it or not, actually inspired the creation of Trader Joe's. (laughs) Anyway, so cream cheese actually is in Crab Rangoon, and that was created because at the time that tiki culture was at its height, it was a popular staple in the American diet. And so they wanted to experiment with that in these dishes. Put cream cheese together with some wonton wrappers, some crab, and a good deep fry, and you get crab rangoons. And this is how that dish was born. At first, it originated in tiki bars, and then there was this kind of this two-way thing, right? Because the Chinese-American restaurant owners were also trying to cater to white Americans to get more business. They needed to make money, right? So they would see things that the tiki bars were doing and then kind of adapt those for their restaurants as well. So. Eventually, you start to see Crab Rangoon move into Chinese-American restaurants, and they kind of added their own flair, which is sweetening the cream cheese. You know, at this point in time, tiki bars are basically more or less out of favor. However, American Chinese food is still going strong, and that's why we associate Crab Rangoon with Chinese food today. So as you can see, items like fortune cookies, Crab Rangoon, or American Chinese food in general are products of their time and a result of the mixture of Chinese culture with the reality of living in America in the 40s, 50s as a non-white person. 
Despite the negatives that come with this, these dishes are still uniquely AAPI. Asian Americans have either made them or modified them for their own purposes, so you shouldn't feel ashamed to enjoy them. In a way, fusion food is a way to survive, adapt, and innovate for immigrants as well as their descendants. It's still some great food to try. Right, and you know, if you get crab rangoons from your local Chinese restaurant, you are benefiting Chinese people if they run the restaurant. And the next thing that I have is actually sort of a small trend, so probably most of you haven't heard about this, but kimchi and peanut butter sandwiches is a weird fusion dish that I heard about actually in a different podcast I follow called Gastropod. It's a food science and history podcast. And the whole episode was about kimchi. And this was one of the things that they tried related to kimchi. When I heard about it, I was like, that's weird. (laughs) But I tried it just because I was like, what if it's good? And it turns out it actually makes a really good snack. So you basically just take two pieces of typical sandwich bread. You add some peanut butter. You add some warmed kimchi and then a dash of gochujang, which is a spicy Korean chili paste. You know, the exact inventor of this dish is unknown. It was a big kind of internet trend, which Gastropod had picked up on in certain circles. So it wasn't like the whole internet knew about this, right? It was only certain pockets. When I heard about it, I knew I had to try it. So I tried it with my Korean aunt and her kids. We all made it together and it turns out it was actually quite good. (laughs) I was very pleasantly surprised. The peanut butter and the kimchi complement each other quite well because it's like the spice and fat tend to balance each other out. And so it ended up being really good. I would recommend if you have a taste for kimchi that you try this out. I would have never expected those two to mix well. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty weird, but it works. (laughs) And our next one is the famous chai to the Starbucks chai tea latte. So in the 90s, somehow Starbucks decided to embrace tea culture was already kind of coming in from the British to here. And I guess Starbucks decided to make their own chai tea latte recipe. It is definitely not the real tea we have in South Asia. It doesn't have masala and it just is very different, I think, from anyone who's had a real chai or cha. And, but I guess we'll have to take it. <laughs> also, chai literally means tea, so saying it twice is something that us Asians have always found dumb. I would say probably Starbucks, if you're listening, should fix that. So we're not saying tea, tea, latte. Definitely, yeah. You know what else I found out recently? Starbucks is experimenting with boba. (laughs) And I don't know whether I should be, I shouldn't, I was like, should I be excited or scared? (laughs) You know, they're trying to do something in coffee. Like they're putting boba in coffee. I'm not sure if they're ever going to actually put it in tea, but they're definitely starting to put it in coffee. I guess I can't knock it until I try it. I think it'll be similar to like how all the other like dishes we've talked about, like where the chai tea latte Starbucks isn't bad. It's um, it's just not real. It's not true to the real thing we have back home. All right. So our last topic is discussing Asian food that we haven't had yet, but really want to try. Adiba, what dishes do you want to try that you haven't had yet? So as soon as you introduce the episode... Bib and Pop came to my mind. I, it's one of the only things I haven't tried. And so I'm really excited to kind of go into that. And then now after our conversation, I really want to try like the, and I think this can only happen when you go visit these Asian countries, but I really want to try like the original recipes of some of the things we've had here. 
and kind of compare, okay, like the Americanized version versus not, because I have friends who'll come back from like China or other places and they'll be like, yeah, the food was way, way different and way better. Yeah, definitely. Bibimbap is actually, it's called, it literally translates to like mixed rice. Basically a bunch of different vegetables, <laughs> like that are finally kind of julienned is like the technical term for it. There's like zucchini and carrot and all these other vegetables. And then there's a big kind of like egg that goes on top. Sometimes they'll add meat in it too. So sometimes you can get little pieces of bulgogi in it or, or chicken or stuff like that. I've made bibimbap a few times before. Ooh, now I'm even more excited. How about you? What Asian dishes do you want to try? So I definitely want to try hot pot. I haven't had hot pot yet. I've heard a lot of things about it. I don't think I have either, now that I think about it. It's like everything's based around like a soup, you know? I want to try it just because I've never had it before and I want to have that experience. And apparently a lot of hot pot places now are almost like the Korean barbecue format where you have like a multitude of people that kind of share a big hot pot. (laughs) So anyways, it just sounds like a fun experience. I also, I think I may have had onigiri or musupi, which is like, it's basically like a type of white rice in like a triangle shape with a little seaweed kind of like piece. And then inside of the rice is some filling. I've seen this before, but I've just never actually had it myself. And I want to try it. It's a Japanese dish that I want to try. And then local fruits. I'm sure you've had this experience with things like mangoes, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I went to the Philippines, and the Philippines has these really awesome bananas that we do not have in the U.S. They taste better than U.S. bananas. They're, like, kind of creamier. They're almost, like, slightly orange in, like, the terms of the inside, you know, of of the banana. And they're just great. And so that's one thing I want to try for sure is trying more of those local fruits. I'd love to have some like true Indian mangoes because I'm sure they're going to be way better than whatever we're getting here. Yeah, they definitely are. That's a good, um, I'll keep that in mind too when I visit these countries also besides just like food, fruits as well. Thanks for listening. That concludes our Foodie Favorites episode and season two. We really appreciate your support along the way. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Also, if you want to read everyday AAPI stories or submit your own story, visit our website at www.whereimreallyfrom.com.